0: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 48. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Goudreau. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This, of course, is session 48, brought to you by our friends over at gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. Appreciate their support. It's Sunday night, and um, I normally have the show completely done. I'm uploading it, and I'm uh, making last-minute adjustments to uh, have you consume it for uh, the next day on Monday. Um, uh, so I usually put it out on midnight. But uh, And I originally recorded the show on Friday uh, in the mm-hmm. afternoon, and uh, that was as the terrorist attacks in Paris were uh, unfolding and didn't really know the full extent of it. I did know that my wife um, was on an airplane headed towards Paris. So I had, you know, good cause to be uh, tense about her travel. And uh, now being Sunday night, um, you know, fortunately she landed safely. She was able to make her, uh, you know, transfer planes and get over to uh, her next destination in her trip for, uh, she's out on a business trip. Uh, so everything is good there, but, uh, obviously, you know, we now know what has happened in Paris. We now know what has happened in uh, Beirut and Lebanon. And I, you know, I did, I could, I felt like I couldn't uh, put out this show without just making mention and, and saying, sending my, uh, my heartfelt, uh, sympathies to those who have lost people in this violence in the last couple of days. And, um, I'm truly sorry to, uh, to have to do that, uh, obviously it's a cowardly thing when this happened. So um, and touching in on our music and recording world, uh, hitting home a bit, obviously, um, Nick Alexander, who's the merch manager, merchandise manager for uh, Eagles of Death Metal, lost his life. And so uh, I want to send my sympathies to his family who I I don't know, but obviously our degrees of separation, I'm sure are uh, very, very small. So um, yeah, it's awful what has happened. So, um, not much to say there. If you are a WCA listener in e- either of those cities, I hope, uh, your families are safe. I hope everything is good with you. And, um, yeah. So there it is. I just, uh, I just wanted to, uh, mention that. And, uh, you know, you can't really do a show like this, um, uh, each week without, uh, thinking about events that affect our world as they're happening. And, uh, some events, you know, I don't, I don't really get into, um, you know, try not to get into the, uh, the political, uh, circus that, uh, happens, uh, at least in the United States. But, um, this I had to mention, so, um, there it is, but, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so in spite of all this, um, on the positive side, I do have a, uh, I have a fantastic show for you today again. I've got Bill Simpkins on and uh, you might know Bill from his audio engineering diaries, uh, Facebook page that he maintains. Uh, Bill is an engineer up in Bellingham, Washington runs a studio out of his house and uh, kind of documents uh, bits of his process as well as tries to put out uh, really useful information for people uh, who are engineers, pros and beginners alike to, uh, to uh, check out. So uh, Yeah. Bill Simpkins coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So um, not too much going on in the, on the technical side of things. I will, um, we will have our, um, Nino and I are, are working on our uh, Audio Technica samples so you can get uh, some idea of how some of these uh, 40 series mics sound. And of course, you know, the uh, promotion is going on for uh, those 40 series mics where you get the, um, the M50 headphones for free. So I'm I'm actually heading on over to I'm heading on over to my site, believe it or not. Uh, just to remind you that on the right hand side is the uh, banner for the Audio Technica mics. It's uh, third down there, and uh, clicking on that now, which of course takes you to the um, takes you to the promo page and tells you the whole story. What mics uh, are on that list? Forty thirty three, forty seven, fifty. There's there's several. A combination of condenser mics. Uh, there's some ribbon, there's some, you know, mono mics, some stereo mics. So remember, if you buy one of those before the end of the year, uh, before December 31st, uh, you will get a free pair of ATH-M50X headphones. So make sure you jump on that. And I am headed over to Bird and Egg tomorrow. We're going to try to wrap up some of our uh, recording and uh, get you some samples for you to download and check out and see what you think. Uh, so yeah, so that's it. Um, I say we, uh, just jump on into our interview with Bill Simpkins and, uh, talk to you at the end. All right, here we go. Bill Simpkins on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey man, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I've been, um, I've been checking out your uh, Facebook page. You got a lot of followers. You got a lot of people interested in what you're doing there. So tell us a little bit, first off, where are you located? Yeah,
1: I'm in a, a small little town called Bellingham, Washington. I wouldn't guess it's too small. It's about 100,000 people. It's okay. it's about an hour south of Vancouver, BC, mm-hmm. and about an hour and a half north of Seattle. I'm a hometown boy. I've lived here um, for since 1980, and when I graduated high school, you know, I, the first thing I wanted to do is record my band. So... Uh, I used all my money and bought um, a couple ADATs, a Mackie, you know, a Tascam, uh DA, not a DA, the DAT machine, mm. and uh, some DOD compressors, <laughs> and uh, a couple mics, and uh, recorded my band, and then my uh, friends started having me record their bands, and uh, end up doing uh, a bunch of records, like... At my parents' house. I kind of got a reputation for recording my friends' bands and then uh, one of them actually had a friend who owned a recording studio in town and they were looking for an engineer. So they were like, you should have Bill work here. He just, he had me do uh, a test session and he had me uh, do a test mix and then he basically just hired me. And I worked there for maybe 10 years. Just doing sessions. It was it was kind of a full time job, uh, really lucky situation. And then I'd go out and do sessions at other studios here and there and uh some consulting work. Uh ended up doing a you know, a bunch of stuff at people's homes. Mm-hmm. You know, they they uh, just couldn't get the sounds they wanted, or uh maybe uh a church or a venue got this new huge budget for a PA system that didn't know how to spend it. So I'd help help them. Um, with those kind of things, and then also uh, supporting my own music, et cetera, et cetera. And then Mm -hmm. uh, I got a few opportunities to assist on a couple larger projects, and that was uh, a good eye-opening experience to see how things work outside of Bellingham. Yeah, so that was my start. There became a point in the 2000s where I was spending half my time recording really awesome bands and artists that I really wanted to work with. But then the other time was spent doing, you know, just the money-making stuff like karaoke sessions and people that weren't really serious in what they were doing. And I remember sitting by, behind the board one day going, man, I really don't want to be here right now. You know, <laughs> I, this is not how I envisioned spending my time. So uh, I decided to follow another technical interest, which was computer programming. After I got my degree in uh, mathematics, I became a computer programmer and uh, did that totally full-time with no audio for a couple years. And then I realized I really needed that creative side. So I decided that I was going to get back in the audio but only take projects that I absolutely wanted to do, no compromises. So uh, it is a really good relationship for me having this really technical programming job and then having this creative job because the creative job keeps me really happy and fulfilled in life. And the technical job gets my technical stuff out of the way, but also lets me be flexible in who I choose to work with. Mm -hmm. It's been nice.
0: Well, tell me, uh, what's the name of the studio there?
1: Uh, It's Alpenglow Sound. Yeah.
0: And is it, it a building you rent? Is it in your home?
1: It's in uh, the downstairs of my home, yeah. Okay. Right now, it's currently taking three rooms, and I'm thinking of making a fourth larger room into kind of a piano uh, tracking area,
0: yeah. Is this a home you rent or a home you own? I own it. Very good. Mm. Is, do you like having the studio in your house?
1: You know, it, it has its ups and downs. I kind of like the feeling of going somewhere to work, um, somewhere outside of home to work, because I, I tend to be more focused in what I'm doing. When I'm working at home and time seems somewhat unlimited sometimes, I, I get distracted or people will distract me. So, yeah, I like it being close and I like not having to drive and I, I like being able to take a break and go garden or, or work on the house. That's really nice. But I, I also kind of miss the forced focus that
0: I get at being
1: at an f- outside facility.
0: Gardening, what a way to take your mind out of the world of audio for a second, or at least uh, do something almost similar in some respects, I would say to soldering
1: mm-hmm.
0: something very uh,
1: <clears throat> peaceful without the fumes, without
0: the fumes. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. But,
0: but, but some people swear they they really like the fumes. So, <laughs> Tell me a bit about your Facebook page, because that's yeah. initially how I uh, was made aware of you is through your page. Yeah. Tell me about that and what that, what that means for you? One thing I was really frustrated with
1: when I, when I would be seeking information online was the amount of noise and chatter and opinions I would have to sift through to find what I was looking for. My page is born out of kind of like uh, a frustration just to be able to go somewhere and just read kind of useful filtered information. Um, the forms are really nice, but sometimes you really have to spend a lot of time on it just to find a, a tidbit here and there that that will, you know, make your engine, enrich your engineering for the day. And so uh, I just wanted to create something that was highly filtered and moderated and um, different from some of the other sources. Um, I wanted to get away from just offering a quick trick or, you know, compression for beginners or... I, I wanted kind of like real world, different tidbits of information that, that was maybe difficult to find somewhere else. And from kind of a for perspective of someone that's, uh,
0: using it in, in work. You have a lot of viewers. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of people subscribe to that page. Mm-hmm. Um, the hunger for information, uh, out there, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Would would you agree?
1: Yeah. I, I've thought about, you know, why people might be so hungry for it. Um, I, I also wonder who these people are exactly. I am trying to determine, you know, if it's mostly students or, or, um, career engineers by the questions that I get asked a lot, you know, private messages. Um, a lot of it are, I, you know, people starting out and, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it might be a product of, you know, all the people
0: going taught at audio engineering school now. I mean, I consider myself a pro, but I continually seek information out. I'll watch the most mundane, bare, basic, you know, up, um, newbie kind of videos just, just to see if there's anything I can get out of it. hmm Because I just find it fascinating. And also just to kind of see, like, somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm. Now you say you get a lot of private messages, but, uh, as far as, uh, the growth of that page, how did that, I mean, it was it organic? Did you promote it? Is it, how did it come about?
1: So it's a, it's a little bit of both. A lot of it's organic. Um, but if what I do is if I post something that I think is maybe one of my more thoughtful posts, (laughs) something I put a little more effort into it and it's just not being seen, then I'll throw like five
0: bucks into it or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just for a particular post?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was a time right off the bat where I was messing around with a Facebook promotion and I put like uh, maybe 50 to 100 bucks into it right off the bat. But um, what I found is the that promotion, the, the people gained from that were largely, you know, I don't even think they actually read it. <laughs> It was, uh, I, I don't think the target audience was uh, really accurate. Yeah.
0: And for the audience, it's Audio Engineering Diaries, Bill Simpkins on Facebook. Mm. And I see that, uh, oh, Tucker Martine likes what you're doing. Do you know who Tucker is? Mm-mm. No, I don't. Uh, uh, he's doing a new record right now with uh, the Jayhawks. I know that. He and I have been on a panel together at uh, the Potluck Audio Conference, and, um, but he has a studio uh, up in Portland.
2: Mm.
0: that's telling that what you're doing is obviously either people, other engineers believe in what you're doing and feel the information is valid and they want to get something good out of it. The fact that Tucker's following you is, uh, I hope Tucker doesn't mind me bringing him up here, but the fact that he's following you gives me an indication of that it's not just students. Yeah, that, that's great. That's great. You know, what's interesting about what you just said.
1: The first band I ever recorded... That wasn't one of my own projects. Uh, they were called the Jayhawkers, and they were from Portland in 1993, <laughs> and I recorded them in my parents' kitchen. Um, and I have a vinyl record that they pressed and and gave to me back then. Um, I don't know if it's related to them at all. But
0: The content that you choose to put up on your Facebook page, what's the driving force of it? Is it just interesting things that you think... Uh, or things that you think other people will find interesting? Or do you have like a a specific tract or or focus you're trying to get in on?
1: It's got to usually meet two criteria. And one is that it's uh, useful. And another one is that it's not very easy to find on the internet. You know, you might be able to dig through a forum and and find it or but I just kind of want to present something uh, short and concise that uh, isn't uh, a common thing that other people are talking about. You know, you know, you'll go on YouTube and uh, you'll see 100 videos on like how to use a compressor, how to EQ a snare drum, you know, how to record a hip hop vocal. And I I really don't want to approach it from that angle. As I'm working and I do something that's really working for me and it's not too complicated, I'll, I'll think if it will be useful to anybody else and I'll, I'll post it. Yeah. And I'll, sometimes I'll go, I'll go two weeks without a post just because there's nothing that I feel is, is, uh, different enough or, or useful enough to, to share.
0: Are you doing it for the thrill of doing it for the, just to put out good information and be the source of that good information?
1: I, I'm doing it to be the source of good filtered information. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's true. You know, and, uh, I think that there's a, a video out there somewhere of uh, somebody brought it up to me. They said that, uh, oh yeah, it's on YouTube. It's a video of a guy like making judgment calls based on the waveform. You know, like, look at that waveform. Yeah. That's terrible. It, stuff like that. So we need as much good information, especially in the time that we're living in right now. So that's, that's great that you do that. So let's talk a little bit about your studio and let's talk about how you do things. Mm -hmm. It's in your house. Yeah. Do you ever run into any issues with where you're located as far as zoning or anything like that?
1: Uh, no, not at all. Uh, sometimes I wish I was, uh, maybe I'm kind of in suburbia. Um, it'd be kind of cool if I was out in the County so I can make a little more noise all night,
0: you know? Yeah. Is your, uh, is your studio uh, a, build out in a built out in a way that double walls or anything like that? Or did, is it just separated by regular walls?
1: It's kind of a little bit of both. Uh, when I built the mix room, it was just uh, framing. It was like a storage room in the house. And what I did was I put like rock wool, So it's fairly soundproof and it actually is really good at, you know, absorbing a lot of the bass frequencies because it's not a real big room maybe 12 by 13. And that's just a little kind of mixing room. So yeah, it was kind of custom built for having sound in it. And then the next room over, which is the tracking room, uh, I built for doing overdubs, mainly because my main business is, you know, mixing people's records. And a lot of times if the artist is local, I might Ask them to come in and say, hey, you know, your record would really benefit if you redo the vocal on this track, or these guitars are kind of out of tune. Can you come in and retract some guitars? And so I kind of built it for that purpose. And that was built uh, completely for tracking from the ground up. I didn't use double walls, but I, I put lots of layers in the walls um, with wood and concrete and a couple spit uh, air gaps, mm-hmm. a couple inch air gaps. Yeah. So yeah, kinda.
0: <laughs> okay. A little mixture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, how often does that happen that somebody comes to your house?
1: Well, it it depends. I just got done with a uh, three month project. Uh, we just recorded a whole record here. We had an artist come up from New Zealand. We spent three months tracking his his record, and then uh, he finished up. It's lately. It's been about twice a week someone comes in and and we'll do some overdubs, redo some guitars. Something like that, yeah.
0: So how does that happen as far as, walk me through that, like the New Zealand uh, yeah, artist. Like, how did that record come about?
1: I had a contest on on the AE Diaries blog uh, a couple of years back. People submitted their songs, and i just picked my favorite song and give them a free mix of their song, of their home recording. And this guy named uh, Regan McKinnon from, from New Zealand, he submitted a song of... An artist that he produced and played on and I mixed it and we kind of became online friends from there. At a later date, he hired me to mix one of his other tunes and then we became like pretty good friends online. We'd share things and I'd follow his music and I was just really, really digging his music. And uh, one, of, one of the freedoms of having a day job is that uh, I can choose to work on something even if it's not going to you know completely pay my bills. And so I'm like, Hey man, like, why don't you come up here and, and, and do, do your record. So we flew from New Zealand and stayed in the house and, uh, we worked on his record for three months. It was awesome.
0: You, you know, you put that out there, to, you know, to do something for free and here it comes back and you end up doing a whole record. Now I'm, I'm not sure, was there a financial arrangement in that at all, or was it completely free?
1: It was, it's a, it's a share of anything that comes out of it. Yeah.
0: Tell me a bit more about your day gig then.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm a senior software engineer. I usually uh, uh, just solve software problems, Uh, usually uh, moving large amounts of data around or uh, dealing with high performance software issues. I've been real fortunate to have an employer currently who lets me work uh, part time. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to explain it. I don't want to get too in the software for an audio engineering audience.
0: <laughs> but you, you're able to work part time. Do you do a lot of work from home?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I work from home a few hours a week. The office is only like five minutes away. So,
0: if you were to give that day job up, do you think you can you could make the studio pay the bills?
1: Yes, I could absolutely. But I'd have to take I'd have to take some gigs I probably wouldn't normally take.
0: And do you put any time into promoting your recording services and or your studio?
1: That's a tough one. Um, I put time, I would say, casting the line into the lake and seeing if there's a fish that I would want to reel in because I I like to keep busy in audio. I I like to be involved in music that I really like, but I also like to kind of keep it fresh and have new opportunities for, uh, you know, for challenges and, and for self growth in that area. So I want to meet musicians that I don't know. I want to record music that isn't in my current circle of people I know. That's probably the main reason why I put out, I I put out feelers. Uh, you know, honestly, most of the gigs I get are uh, from referrals over the years. Yeah.
0: Is that mostly mixing work or is that tr- uh, tracking or both?
1: Um, it's mostly mixing. I, I would say 75% mixing, 25% tracking. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what do you, how do you feel about the, you know, attended mixes and the concept of that? Or do you prefer to work alone?
1: I like both. I really, when I'm, when I'm sitting here mixing for, for sometimes I'll be in here for like four days straight, eight hours a day, eight to 12 hours a day, um, mixing records, you know, I, I get kind of lonely and i I miss, I miss, uh, the energy of having people in the room. Mm -hmm. I I miss being able to kind of go off their uh, vibe and energy to whether they're liking something or not. I get kind of frustrated doing revisions over email because Mm -hmm. it takes so long. And if the person was in the room, you could have it all done in like five minutes. And instead, you're emailing back and forth. And there's there's benefits in both for sure. I really miss, you know, sitting behind a console with a whole band behind me telling them to shut up, you know, because I'm listening and and then lots of energy in the room and they're like, "Hey man, turn up the kick." And you like turn up the kick and you know, just kind of like
0: basic, I don't know, good old music fun. <laughs> Do you uh have you ever experimented with any of the online, I don't know what you'd call them, the communications that like you can use, for example, uh Source Connect or um Nicecast or any of these things where you can actually play the mix? And broadcast it over the internet so that the client, no matter where they are, can hear what you're doing, not yeah. in real time, but with like say a 15, maybe, maybe a five to 10 second delay.
1: Uh, no, I haven't tried it. How's is the quality good?
0: You know, you can ramp up the quality to about a 320 kilobit MP3 mm. yeah, streaming. Right. Um, NiceCast is a kind of a low dollar way to do it. The Source Connect products tend to be much more expensive. Yeah. And I personally find their website a little confusing cuz they have so many damn products. Mm. But Vance Pal swears by the Source Connect stuff. Mm. Um, I've definitely done the uh the nice cast thing. It's it's fairly simple to to put together depending on what kind of a system you have.
1: You, you know when there's people in the room and you you make a little change and you're just like you're experimenting, you know. And you know they're like no, we don't want an echo on that guitar. It's totally going against everything we believe in, or whatever. And you're just playing around, you know. How do you deal with those kind of dynamics when you're,
0: you know, streaming I tend them? to, um, I tend to not use it for the what we we'll call the discovery part of the process. Mm-hmm. I like I'll get the mix together, uh-huh. send it to them, and then um, they'll say, "Hey, so can we make some tweaks?" I'll say, "Sure. Why don't we get online? I'll broadcast it, and that way we can." Be both kind of hyper focused on the the things you want to change, you know, like right. oh hey what and you know oh by the way in this chorus that we're listening to right now the you know it's the guitar is too loud or I want it louder or whatever. We, by that time I'm not you know playing around with the early stages of a mix. Mm-hmm. They get to hear it basically in a finished way, and we're just dealing with the uh, the icing and just. Mm. the fine tuning part. Mm-hmm. I have done it in the past where I'm like, Hey you guys, you know, I'll just send a note out to all the band members and they'll be at wherever they're at their jobs or at home. And I'm just like, if you're bored and you want to listen to me, mix your record, it's online, go check it out. Don't freak out over anything you hear. <laughs> Cause you know, there is a lot of experimentation mm-hmm. and um, it's interesting uh, to do that. But i've i'm I've made no bones about it on the show. I'm not a big fan of having somebody in the room as I put the mix together. Mm-hmm. I like to go through and scratch my head or shake my head or or cheer or whatever over the decisions that were made and see what you know see what's there and and play around a bit you know mm-hmm. and then you know maybe take a break and eat lunch and relax and come back to it with fresh ears. when you have somebody in the room i mean i'm I know you've dealt with this it's like you tend to keep going and sometimes i need to stop
2: mm-hmm, to
0: mm-hmm. clear my head yeah
1: i feel kind of a pressure to not stop um yeah yeah especially if uh you're charging hourly i uh yeah one of the things with online mixing that that is a real disadvantage is that you might spend all day on a mix and then it's completely not what the band was looking for Yeah. Um,
0: But if they were
1: there, you would get that feedback immediately.
0: That's true. Um, When you do online mixing, do you ever do a thing where like you'll kind of put together a rough mix and say, this is the general direction I could go in. Is Mm -hmm. this in the ballpark or not?
1: Um, I do that for clients I've been working with for years and years Mm -hmm. um, that I have a real good, you know, friendship with. And I, I, they pretty much, they,
0: they know that that's not the final mix and they won't freak out over it. Yeah to me sometimes like i'm working on something and it just feels like it should naturally go in a particular direction but i know that the band may not like that aesthetic i mean i mean are you fairly familiar with chad blake's work i i know chad blake and yeah. i i remember going out and listening
1: to a lot of his stuff but i i can't recall it off the top of my head now
0: but i mean you know you you get a sense of the aesthetic that he generally goes for right mm-hmm. that kind of distorted um rough aesthetic i mean can you imagine like if you did that, if you if, I mean, people go to Chad Blake for Chad Blake. Mm-hmm. Feel like people should come to you f- for you, for Bill Semkins. I mean, it's like, otherwise, otherwise, do you ever feel like it's a, uh, uh, yeah, I'll take the cheeseburger and hold the tomato right. and uh, you know,
1: yeah, that's an interesting question because I I have a style of mixing, and that is it's super. Uh, I would say hi-fi, <laughs> lots of separation, uh, kind of radio ready polished, but I also like creative elements of space and ambience. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really in the mood. So if I had to sum it up, it would be, um, really hi-fi mixing with lots of mood to it and, and tailoring to, you know, evoking emotion through kind of atmosphere. Okay. And, uh, but at, at the same time, yeah, yeah. So I do have a style, and I would love it if people just came to me for my style. But also, I really like the challenge of catering to people. I mean, that's usually where I I learn a lot is when people are pushing me to do something that I'm not really comfortable with. And uh, so, at you know, I've I've had those instances. You know, like like I was mentioning earlier, I'll work on a mix for eight hours. I'll send it to them, and they'll be like the list of comments is so long. (laughs) I'll, I'll, uh, I'll think, you know, like, why am I even doing this? You know, like you got the wrong guy. Um, And those are my first thoughts, but I'll, I'll just let it sit. I'll, 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 I'll let it sit for a few hours. I'll, I'll go think about it. And I'll be like, you know what? They're, they might be right. You know, this, how, how they want the song mixed. The song will actually be better if, if we, if we incorporate, uh, these things that they want. And so I'll, I'll really try to pull it off for them um, and still have some myself in there.
0: Interesting, yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the interview here with Bill Simpkins on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I'm just interrupting the interview for a minute just to uh, remind you that uh, uh, Universal Audio does have uh, a promo going on for the Apollo Twin that if you buy one before December 31st and you register it, well, of course, you, you, know, you have to register it if you're going to use it, and it's uh, the way the the whole system works, the ecosystem there. You register it, and you automatically get some free plugins, which is cool. So depending on if you buy a solo or a duo, that will determine the amount of uh, plugins you get. But uh, clicking on that banner on the right hand side of the Working Class Audio page will take you to uh, take you to the page, the UA page that tells you about the whole thing and explains it. And Uh, You know, I've mentioned on past shows, you don't have to worry about coupons or redemption codes. That's totally unnecessary. You just, you buy it, you register it. Those plugins are added to your account. Now, of course, if you already have those plugins, uh, that's no problem. Because what they'll do is is they'll uh, give you a um, a coupon that will, um, let's see, what does that say here? Oh, yeah. If you already own any of those plugins, it says no problem, you just purchase and register the new Apollo Twin or Solo Duo and you'll receive a single-use coupon of equal value to the plugins you already own. So that's kind of, you know, you can't argue with that. It's free and uh, it's a low hassle, no hassle really, uh, way to register and uh, get those free plugins. So I like free, yeah, free's good. Okay, let's get back here to uh, our interview with Bill Simpkins here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. When I say the term mix momentum, Mm -hmm. um, what I refer to is just sometimes, you know, I'll be working on a mix and we, you know, I get deep into the mix and I send it off and the band's like, yeah, it sounds great. But then they start to get bogged down in the minutia of, you know, like little, like, well, the delay time on the guitar, can we, can we have it changed? just like, you know, you know, a 10th of a second kind of a thing. And, and then everybody starts to chime in and it, and it gets that deep mm-hmm. and that's when I tend to be like, guys, come on. It's, it's emotion. It's, it's excitement, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like really getting bogged down in some details that I'm not going to say that they're not important, but it's like, there's a point at which I feel like bands just need to get out of their own way and need to let the, let the process take its course and not be, try to control every single element, uh, to the nth degree. And, and when they don't do that, I feel like I start to lose a little bit of the momentum and excitement that I initially had, because now it's like, okay, uh, now we're like, you know, nudging splits, you know, split second part here and, you know, changing delay times to like in subtle ways that, I don't know, it's that, it's that balance. I, 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 there's a, there's a camp of engineers. I feel that are super into the minutia, and then there's a, a camp of engineers that are kind of like, let's you know, let's get it out there and and get it done. And the detail, the level of detail addressed between these two camps can vary greatly. Mm-hmm. Does the momentum ever just get sabotaged for you with heavy duty notes, um, or are you a detail guy that just really loves to dig into the to the to the detail to the to the minutia? And I don't say minutia in a bad way uh i
1: i try to um determine the uh maybe the what they're really looking for i i, I have an artist that i work with uh atopus uh he's a new age electronica guy and the mix notes he gives me are are huge and detailed but i've been working with him for so long i i know there's like a definite method behind um his attention to detail i mean like literally it'll be like pan this flute one degree to the right pan this drum you know like really uh detailed stuff and in the end it always turns out really great you know so um I, i i trust his detail on the other hand i'll get detail from from some bands where it i can tell maybe it's self motivated like the the guitar player just wants his part to sound cooler and the drummer just wants to sound like Neil Peart and the you know so they'll they'll all be giving me this different feedback kind of nitpicky stuff because they want themselves to sound individually to sound a certain way but they're not thinking about the group as a whole which i think is the downfall of a lot of a lot of bands they they're thinking about their own parts and what they're playing and, and not the the whole sound and so when i kind of catch on to that vibe um i'll i'll actually pull them in and say hey guys like like most i'll just be really honest i'll, I'll be i'll say hey guys most people don't care about this little teeny thing that you're suggesting. They don't, they won't care about your 64 note arpeggio. They won't care about your double flam backwards, left-handed, whatever, (laughs) you know, like I literally get those notes sometimes. Can you turn, can you turn up my left-handed double flam on that fill at 235 or whatever? Oh my God. And, and, um, I'll say, guys, no, no one cares about that stuff. You know, what will make you sound better as a musician is if the song sounds better, right? There's a load of guys out there that think Angus Young is the best guitar player that ever lived, right? Right, and that's because I think is because the songs sound great. If the songs sound great, each the how people think of each musician will be great, you know.
0: So do, so. You, do you just use that direct approach with with bands you're working with to just say, "Come on, yeah, force for the trees."
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I. I if I can tell that they're really into how people perceive their playing, I'll I'll definitely tell them that people will perceive them as a better player if the song sounds better.
0: Boy, I can back you on that a hundred percent. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, one of the reasons why I was late in in getting on Skype with you today was I was talking with my brother about um videos about making some YouTube videos for working class audio and and he's, he's done some like corporate videos for people. He's done some stuff for like, you know, um, like local businesses and, and, and stuff in the Washington DC area. And we were talking about the the process and, and, um, he was like, well, I would recommend, you know, just for what you're doing, you know, you get this particular camera, this, this particular Nikon camera. And, um, And I said, oh, well, you know, I could get this software. Uh, You know, I was like, oh, I could get Adobe Premiere. And he's like, no, bullshit, come on. You're going to get stuck in trying to figure out all the details of Adobe Premiere. Mm -hmm. And he's like, just use your ScreenFlow software or get iMovie. He's like, something bare bones. You just need to get things put together, assembled, as long as it looks good, get it up there. He's Mm -hmm. like, you can't like overspend on the camera and overspend on the software and overspend on your time, you really have to get the product out there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, I'm not telling you to have it look sucky. He says, Mm -hmm. but do a good job, but do it with simple tools. Don't, don't overthink. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. And I I feel that way. Sometimes I feel like I'm having similar conversations with people about recording. Mm -hmm. It's like, Let's you know, as and and I love to quote Ian MacKay from from the band Fugazi about this. He's like, the best records are the records that are done mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. out.
1: Yeah, there was a quote I heard it from Slipperman.
0: You know Slipperman? Slipperman. I don't know Slipperman. Yeah, Man.
1: he he hangs out with uh with uh, Mixer Man. <laughs> of yeah, course right? he does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the quote was something like. Um, Done is always better than perfect. Perfect and not done is neither,
0: right? Yeah, and and uh, there's another quote that s- some people will agree with me on this. Some people are are gonna you know throw tomatoes at, mm. at their at uh, whatever listening device they're listening to me on now. <laughs> um, but the other quote is is um, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure you could tear down. Uh, you know you were talking about Angus Young i'm sure you could take an acdc song and you know uh dissect it and tear it apart uh for various audio bits and pieces and this and that but at the end of the day you know it's like how long has that been, band been going and you know a number of years mm-hmm. uh, not a lot changes uh they they do a, a particular thing and they do it well you know i do have my favorite acdc period as I'm sure every, everybody who's an ACDC fan does, but at the, at the core of it is, is it's, it's, it's straight ahead. It's just like, get it done and get it out there. And unless you're crafting a Katy Perry pop song, Mm -hmm. uh, where there's a lot of money involved and a lot of marketing and a lot of big budgets for videos, then that's a different story. Uh, would you agree with that or or disagree.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also have the opinion that if something's taking too long, uh, you're either doing it wrong or maybe you're not qualified to be doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, or maybe at the end of the day, the song is not good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point too. Um, because people spend so much time, you know, like I notice on a really good song, there's so much less time nitpicking, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, when the song's struggling, people are pulling out anything they can to, to, because they, they subconsciously know that it's not that great, you know? And so they're, they're always like trying to, to bend it and pull it and, and, you know, mold it in, in, shape. Um, but the, the clay is, is too dry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The clay is too dry. Okay. So let's say you're dealing with a band and the song is just not that good. You know it, in your heart, but the band just wants to keep chiseling away at the whole thing mm-hmm. and trying to make it something that it's not. And where do you, I mean, do you ever throw up your hands and go, guys, this song is just not good? Or do you, do you try to be more diplomatic about it? I mean, where do you, where do you fall on that kind of a thing? That's an awkward position to be in.
1: There, there have been a few times where I have told the band that the song needs work. Um, uh, usually not a mixed down, but I've, yeah, I've done that a few times too. Uh, but I have this maybe, uh, overachiever part of me who wants to, um, be the guy that, that makes it happen. And so I'll, I'll pull out every trick in the book to try to do it. And then, uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have to come back and have them do overdubs or, or, or even suggest that maybe the song isn't, uh, something they'd want to use on the album. One thing that, um, I I try to remember is that even, even if I don't like the song, uh, that I can like what I'm doing to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I also try to put myself outside of myself and try to think what the song means to somebody else in the band. And I try to approach it from that angle. Um, it's hard because the the judge of whether I think someone else is going to like something is whether, you know, I truly like it. You know so if i'm having trouble liking it then then i get concerned but um i try really hard to to see it from other people's perspective
0: how often do you get involved from a production standpoint and really try to shape the outcome from the beginning Uh, as far as a you know song input and and such uh um i would say uh
1: 30 40 percent of the time yeah um some some of the people I've been mixing for for a while they'll they'll start sending me stuff uh when they start you know tracking the record or or when they finish writing a song, and they'll ask for my opinion because they'll done i'll i'll be mixing it in the end and um yeah, yeah, about thirty percent
0: yeah <laughs> well so uh let's transition a little bit uh into your studio since it's sitting right behind you um you have a day job, so I assume that Um, you probably don't go too far into debt for uh, gear, if at all. Right. Um, You have a degree in mathematics, is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I did,
1: I took every class for a degree in physics, but uh, I couldn't actually get that degree because I couldn't get two bachelors of science from the same university, so.
0: I see. So would you say that you uh, have an honest relationship with numbers as far as dollars?
1: As fun- yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 don't, I
1: don't have any, any debt for my gear. Um, um, but I, I do catch myself every once in a while lusting after something that I really don't need. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so um, can you give us a little, uh, what do you, what's your setup? What's your workflow? Are you, do you have a console there? I see the top level of something there.
1: Yeah. So, uh, that, that's uh an avid controller actually uh two avid artist mixes and Mm -hmm. uh transport my workflow is uh i mix kind of in the box but it all goes out through uh a summing app the tube tech and then um a lot of my heavy duty processing is hardware um and basically i'll um only go to the hardware if a plugin isn't doing it for me which happens a lot and uh so I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be chugging along, mixing in the box, uh, uh, compressor on the vocal in the box, isn't doing it for me. I'll route out to the hardware. I'll get it going. You know, uh, when I run out of hardware inserts or run out of gear, I'll print all those tracks and, uh, yeah, and, and that way a recall is really not an issue. The only things I have to recall are like the, the bus compressor, bus EQ, um, and, uh, some of the outboard effects like the reverbs and the, delays and stuff
0: what's i see what appears to be a rupert neve designs piece back there yeah yeah
1: that's the rupert neve 5014 and that actually comes in right after the summing app and i use that for um uh calibrating the left and right signals uh
0: what uh, what is that product it's a stereo field editor oh okay
1: yeah so it basically is an ms processor and it has a left and right input and then it splits it into MS and you can widen any cue, the, the side. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I I no, I don't even switch that part of it on. I just use the calibration usually. And I drive the transformers really hard because it adds a little glue. <laughs> hmm. Yeah.
0: And I see a Coleman, uh, is that a Coleman speaker switcher?
1: Yeah. 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 My favorite thing about it is the really clunky buttons. It's like clunk, clunk
0: yeah (laughs) simple pleasures (laughs) do you feel that equipment in a studio can can be a distraction to the point of uh, to an artist to the point where it influences them negatively or positively
1: um are you asking whether an artist thinks they need to have certain gear to sound good
0: yes like you know a stu- uh, an artist walking into the studio going ooh we should use that
1: yeah well i'll i'll um ask them why <laughs> because um some some artists actually do have a very good reason you know they'll be because they'll say because the poltec has a good uh mid attenuation and i think there's a little too much mud in the vocal you know i've actually had people say stuff like that so or they might say something that i don't agree with which is like we want our stuff to sound vintage and to be, you know? Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, if, if they're doing it for valid reasons, I'll, I'll take the input. If not, I'll, uh, I'll, um, explain to them what they're actually, you know, looking for, like what you envision a classic sounding record. Uh, do you have any examples of this? Uh, um, and then I'll explain to them that that's not, always the case to get those sounds. I mean, I have some solid state gear that sounds more tubey and warm than the tube gear. And in fact, I think a lot of the, the tube gear is actually quite bright, you know, in a lot of cases. So um, I've actually, in a few instances, run them through some solid state gear and, and showed them how much warmer it actually sounded than the, the tube piece.
0: How do you structure your, your, your rates with people with the influence of a day job? Meaning that you've got the day job and the studio is a separate entity and you're not depending on the studio to fund your life, I, I assume. So what's your philosophy with your rates with regards to people coming in or, or asking you to do work for them?
1: So I've, I have two things in play here. One, one is I want the artist to care about what I'm doing and to respect my time. And to, and to respect their own time. So um, I technically could probably do everything for free um, and and get by. Um, but what I like is that feeling of professionalism involved in a project and, you know, moving it along, um, having professional communication, um, committing the things and and, you know, not backtracking because you know it's free, you know. Like having a thousand changes because you doesn't cost you anymore, you know. And um, so I like that feeling of professionalism. I I do also like the studio uh, paying for itself, which it currently you know does. Um, all the expenses and gear are paid for by by fees.
0: Do you is your rate flexible or do you try to stick to a particular dollar amount?
1: Yeah, I, I try to go with the rates that are on the um, posted on the website. Which are pretty, um, they're pretty set, um, except for uh, mixing can be quite flexible, Um, as you know. You know, I don't want to charge somebody uh, the same for a acoustic guitar and a voice that I would, you know, like a 150 track orchestra Broadway thing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, (laughs) And uh, so there's some flexibility there, but uh, usually the hourly rates are pretty set, and uh, the mixing falls within a range, and I do mastering, but don't advertise it. And um, that is a set price also per song.
0: And what's what's the name of the website that people should check out?
1: They could find all my stuff through BillSimpkins.com. That's Simpkins with a P. And that has links to the studio, AlpenglowSound.com, the Facebook blog.
0: You know, I'm always asking questions about, you know, artists, you know, doing things that, we either consider strange or odd or, or, or strange or, or peculiar or wrong or whatever. But what about us? What do you think are some of the cliches that we get into where we're to blame as engineers and that we need to take a look in the mirror and say, what can I do better? How can I do better? How can I not drive artists crazy? I would say
1: the top one for me is to... A lot of engineers think they're a lot more important than they really are in the process. <laughs> and uh, the, the main thing should be the, the song and the artist to focus on and not your imprint that you're going to put on it.
0: Mm. And how do you think we exercise that self-importance? Um,
1: by uh, everything from uh, using all the gear that we buy on a mix to justify to ourselves that we bought it when the mix doesn't need it. Right.
0: Yeah. You know, oh, man,
1: you're so right on, right. Like you just buy this $3,000 compressor. I'm going to use it on this mix. Well, what if it sounds better with, what if it sounds better with bomb factory, you know? Yeah. You know, And, and that's where, that's where, you know, you really got to take yourself out of it and, and just be kind of a, a servant. You know, um, another thing that engineers do is, unless, and and less these days is, uh, uh, just kind of, uh, pretend that they're in charge or be in charge, you know, um, being really, uh, you know, like it's always done this way and this is how we do it and, uh, deal with it. I, I, I think you've probably met those engineers. You just kind of a-holes, right? Mm-hmm. And, um. I I think that's less and less, but I, that's, I think, uh, a lot of people still may have that, uh, image of audio engineers because they might've had a few experiences with that guy, you know, the, the know it all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then uh, another thing is that, um, a lot of engineers don't give musicians credit. Like even if they don't have the technical knowledge, they still have the gift so to say of artistic feel and creativity and if they're not feeling something if they're not vibing on it that's like it's not an insult to you it's an opportunity to um tap into their creativity and trans- help translate that for them i mean you're kind of in a sense a, a translator they have this vision in their head and you're helping them kind of through that you know you're, you're like night vision goggles <laughs> and helping them, you know, get, get down the, the trail in the, in the dark, you know.
0: You're the liaison to, to the medium. Yeah. Essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, like, um, that I have very old fashioned opinions on mastering. <laughs> oh, please, please share. Actually, <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, um, in a sense, you know, we're, the technical person for the artist, but the mastering engineer to the mix engineer is kind of serving that same role to us down the chain. And um I I kind of believe that a mastering engineer is the liaison to the medium it's released on, right? So back when they used to master for vinyl, that's kind of how the whole mastering thing started. Right. Was pressing the vinyl. They they would do that to adjust it for that that medium and then cassettes and CDs came along and they're they would adjust it so it would sound best on that medium now there's kind of a thing in mastering where they also have to put a sonic imprint on it right just just kind of like the the mix engineers have to put a sonic imprint on people's songs the mastering engineers a lot of them feel like they have to put a sonic imprint on the mixes you know they have to make it sound different not just, not just uh, balance the songs together and make it work on the medium. Um, there's a lot of good mastering engineers still that, you know, do that. No, you, you don't have to change the sonic <laughs> imprint of the song, you know. And I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but...
0: Uh, no, no, I yeah. totally understand. I do like your, your views there on the mastering engineer being the, uh, almost like the ambassador to the medium. Mm-hmm an expert in the medium of whether it's vinyl or CD or digital release or, or even MP3 Mm -hmm. um, to do what's best to make the the music come alive or stay alive on, uh, on the different mediums. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I I have an analogy for you. I I think I've kind of gathered that you liked analogy and, and that's, uh, you, you go to a doctor and, and, they see how many people a day, say one every half hour for eight hours. I'm just guessing, right? So they might yeah. see 15 to 20, 30 people a day. So they they get this perspective of people's problems much different than you. You just see your problem, but but they see the person before you, the person after. Um, if, if you say you have a cold, they might've saw 10 other people that day with the same cold. Right. If... If your foot hurts, they seen so many people with peop with bad feet you know they 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 have a much different perspective of how to fix it and and with mixing or mastering, you also had the perspective of working on tons of different artists, and so you can see how it all fits into the the bigger picture and that might not be a perspective that the artist you're working with has mm-hmm. and um Uh, so when, in that respect, you might actually be able to help bring out what the artist actually is looking for and -hmm. they don't know how to explain or they don't know how to best get there. Um, so we're kind of the, I don't know, mastering, especially to me, it kind of reminds me of doctors, you know, they, they, they see a lot of people They they, usually do like a record a day. So they're not just focused on your thing, you know? So having that perspective, the wider perspective is, is invaluable. And and that, and that's why I think it's, it's a train wreck to try to master your own stuff, right? Because you've Mm -hmm. been listening to this mix forever. You've been working on your album forever versus this, this person in a studio that, that did it eight times this week to different people you know, it's an invaluable perspective that they have. And, and that's why people shouldn't master their own records.
0: <laughs> I wanted to ask you, do you feel like your education and your experience with mathematics or did you say physics? Uh, math and physics. Yeah. Math and physics. Yeah. Has, do you, does your education with uh, math and physics, does it uh, impact or in a positive or negative way? your recording world? Uh
1: I, I wouldn't say the math and physics so much other than every once in a while I'll have uh maybe a audio issue that I might be able to understand. Um, you know, uh, like acoustically um or or technically. I might have a technical understanding of it that will solve it. But mostly the thing that has helped most in audio has been the the software development. And the reason that's been helpful is because um the methods that teams of software developers use to get projects done, and one of the terms we have in software development um, is called premature optimization. That is, you don't want to take code, this little bit of code that you just started writing for this huge large project, and like sit there and tweak it and tweak it, make it run real fast and efficient, right? You want to get the whole thing kind of working. and then, and then at the end, then you start dialing in the details. And the analogy, the, the crossover for mixing is you know, don't sit there and try to get that one track sounding absolutely perfect at the beginning of the mix. You know, just kind of do big, big moves. You know, do big brush strokes. Use the big, large paintbrush like Bob Ross, you know, like. You know he'll he'll start and get the thing, and then he'll put a giant black thing across the whole canvas. You'll be like, "What is that?" And he's like, "Here's a big tree." And you're like, "Why'd you cover up that mountain and and um and and then, at the end, you get in with your fine little paintbrush and and you do the leaves um, and and i I found that the optimization that goes on early on is usually largely thrown out anyways, right? So you're kind of wasting a lot of time. And the artist doesn't generally notice that stuff, you know, and they want to change it anyways. You, you spend two hours on the, on the vocal and they're like, I hate the vocal, <laughs> right? You know, get it in there, get it sounding good. And then, and then work on the detail at the very end.
0: I love that. That is, that is awesome. Rough it in and then, then go, come back in another pass and get a lot of the detail.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's funny because when it, when I first started out, I would I would watch other engineers. There's there's this one guy I watched, and he was he just seemed so sloppy to me. I was this young kid. I was all detail oriented. I was all into like getting things perfect and scientific and exact. And he's just like kind of like not even grabbing the faders. He's like just kind of pushing them with his hand, and he's just like slopping stuff around real quick. And big QGQ moves and just like plugging like a compressor and like hit one dial and sliding over just like all crazy. And it looks so sloppy and careless to me. But little did I know years later that that's kind of the way to do it. It, it was very wise and and uh, skillful of him to do it that way because he he's getting the whole vibe in and not paying that much attention to the stuff that just doesn't, isn't going to be there in the end, you know? So I, I look back on that and <laughs> really appreciate it
0: wow yeah i love i think that's a great approach because i i definitely know i can like get hung up in a particular area for a bit too long and think okay i gotta get going here i gotta like i gotta mix the rest of this mm-hmm. not everything's gonna hinge on the kick and the snare sound right now right
1: right and you know like the the every sound is related right so what, what one of the biggest Things I ever learned in audio mixing is never mix with the solo button on, you know, like uh, always dial in sounds in the whole mix. Uh, I do solo to, to sometimes identify something or to troubleshoot an issue, but no one ever hears that soloed, ever. And, and the sound of that guitar with the high pass filter at 200 with no bottom end, the, the, the sound of that in the mix is the sound of the guitar mix with the bass. That is the sound of the guitar right you don't hear it by itself all skinny and wimpy right mm-hmm. you know the the day i figured that out was like it was it was a big big jump it's it's the mix as a whole things sound as they do summed all together you know if you get something sounding perfect by itself and then you add in other elements the sound of that is actually the the combination of the two and and that's kind of where you know, uh, it's a very simple concept, but th- that's kind of where the, the, the physics applies. You take two waveforms and you add them together at any time, and the result is the amplitude, uh, the sum of the amplitudes of the two waveforms, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have acoustic guitar that sounds absolutely perfect with absolutely perfect bottom end, you add in that bass, you now have an acoustic guitar with absolutely too much bottom end. (laughs) And I I tried for so long, like especially at the beginning, I I was on a mission to like record and mix without using any EQ at all. And it was actually, I was trying to be more natural and organic by doing it that way. But it was actually, that is less natural and organic. Yeah. Right? Because if you want a true sound of acoustic guitar in the mix, you got to cut that stuff out.
0: Yeah. and, And I'm curious, like, in your journey of learning what's been a constant source of inspiration for you in terms of new ideas and staying fresh and, and whether it's, you know, is it YouTube videos? Is it books? Is it all the above? Like,
1: I would say it's the feelings I get from good songs, right? Like I remember, um, like, and this, and this is why I, I like certain producers is mainly because of the moods. You know, we, I think we talked on email about Martin Birch once. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. An incredible producer. And, um, and the, if you go back and listen to his albums, it's, there's like a mood to each record, like a definite mood, even in the sonic quality, there's a definite mood to it. You listen to say, uh, Power Slave from, from Iron Maiden. You know, listen to those toms. The 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 toms on those feels are, are like the most unique toms I've probably ever heard. They're like this hollow kind of like, you know, like it's so, it's so crazy, but it totally adds to the mood. I mean, it fits perfectly with the lyrics, with the stories they're telling, you know, it's, it's a whole package. It's, it's like a movie. You're telling a story and you're setting the mood. Like each instrument is like an actor, you know. And you want to pick the right actors for, for the film, else it just doesn't work, right? So um, what inspires me is hearing people that have actually pulled off that elusive mood or, or that, that they call it sometimes that uh, the invisible note or the, um, I don't know if you ever heard that, but it, it's kind of like the, the, the extra thing that everything adds up. And creates. Um, I I remember the first time I heard M eighty two M eighty three. Sorry,
0: <laughs> and um,
1: I was probably thinking of a piece of gear or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, not familiar with M eighty three. M eighty three. They're
1: they're kind of a a pop, uh, kind of a atmospheric um, pop band. Mm-hmm. And uh, they I remember the first time I heard that they just had s- like mood oozing out of the records. And, and that's what pulled me in. And uh, it, it can be any style of music. I just like that that mood that takes me out of where I'm at, right? And that's what inspires me. Um, so anything that I can technically do to help you know achieve that, you know for the artist, I, I assume the artist wants their songs to create moods for people, right? Um, I'll, I'll I'll do. <laughs> uh, and there's 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 some old tricks you know, um, you know, that, that you can kind of, y- y- you can go back and listen to records and try to glean what they were doing in the production to create that mood. You know, I'm reading that book by Ken, uh, Ken Caliat, Ken, he, he produced, uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I'm, mm. I'm reading his book called Making Rumors. And they were talking about how, when they were doing the song Dreams, they wanted a real hypnotic feel to it. So they actually, they, I think it's the only song, maybe not, but it's one of the only songs on the record where they had the drummer play to a click. And it was a fair, very specific reason to create a hypnotic mood. Now everyone just plays to a click to sound like everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, then it was, it was for a very dedicated reason. We want this to put people in a trance. And, but that even wasn't enough. They played the song to a click that, that might be the first time there was a drum loop because what he did was he took 20 feet he took 20 feet of tape and cut it out taped the ends together into a giant loop and ran it around a few mic stands and that drum part was created from a tape loop to be hypnotic
0: and it's that song is very hypnotic yeah
1: yeah yeah so that was all done for the intention of creating a mood for everybody right I, I people people now, the standard thing is to play
0: to a click, right? Yeah. But they, they don't, they don't play to a click to create a mood. They, right. It's interesting, you know, when, uh, Matt Wallace said on his interview, um, on the podcast, he said, you know, at the end of the day, we're, I'm paraphrasing when he said, he said something like, uh, we're peddling emotion, right? That's all we're doing. And, or mood, you mm-hmm. know, as, as to what you're saying mm-hmm. too many times I feel, and then, you know, I, I, it's not just the band. It's, you know, the engineer is, is, is responsible as well. Therefore, I'm you know taking responsibility. But many times in the past, I felt like I've been involved with records where it's just like, okay, we show up, we set up, get our sounds. Okay, roll through it, do your thing. And we never stop. I think we put more emphasis on just like setting up and getting sounds. Whereas to do it well, you need to really choose your studio or your space where you're going to record. So it enhances the mood and the vibe of what's going on. And I know I'm getting hippy dippy here, but no, not at all. really, I mean, you know, you can definitely get somebody to have a mood or a vibe or a record to have a mood or a vibe. If you set them up for success in that way by, you know, saying, Hey, I think, you know, based on what you're trying to do, we should pick this studio and set Mm -hmm. up in this way, you know, maybe we need to light the incense and the candles, or Mm -hmm. maybe we need to turn the lights all the way on. Mm -hmm. And and that, that is just as important to a job as the technical chops. Yeah. Yeah. Even, maybe even more important. Because if you do that and and they're in the mood, then as long as you're capturing it, you know, even if you didn't even, even if you just had some mic pre's with no EQ and no compression, and you captured everything with plenty of headroom, You'd probably have a good chance of having captured it well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's where uh, you know you know what's funny is yeah I get in the stupid uh, gear debates on gear sluts, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and and that's actually why I do push quality gear on people. You know, is because so you don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, if you have a ten seventy three and a U eighty seven, in that moment when it really matters when people are in the mood to do it, when their voice is good, you know you can slap that in front of them and it will work, right? You, mm-hmm. take, you, you might take less inexpensive gear or, or cheap gear or rely on plugins or whatever, but you don't, you know, like you, you're not confident it's actually going to work out, you know? You, you, when you take good quality, reliable gear, you can A, depend on the gear, and then B, you're kind of pretty sure it's going to sound pretty good pretty fast.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. I I, I really subscribe to, to Matt Wallace's theory that you can have, and I want to clarify, I don't yeah. want to say piss poor gear, because I think, you know, you have to have gear that's in good working order, because if you've mm-hmm. got, like, something where they're doing the take, and you move the fader or turn the knob just to make a slight adjustment, and it goes... <laughs> <laughs> and you know, immediately they're out of the mood. But I think if you have good working gear that does it's does the basic job i feel that as matt wallace said um it's better to have a, a good performance it, you know worry more about the performance and 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 the player than the gear that you're capturing it on within reason i'm not saying that you know pull out right. the ge cassette recorder and go okay let's get right. that vocal but you know
1: right and i i completely agree with that statement and that's why that's why i do believe in good gear is because it is about their performance and and the last thing I want to do is worry if some it, it's be futzing around with stuff because I'm familiar with a lot of cheap gear and, and some of it is actually really good and I use it all the time you know like the DBX 160X is a great example of inexpensive gear SM57 of course right but I I do know that um, a lot of people buy like say a Rode NT2A because they can't afford a U87 but I've put that NT2A in front of so many people, and it's so sibilant. You can't use it. It uh, about a quarter of the time I work on acoustic guitar. You know, it's just really difficult to work with. And when that happens, people that affects the performance,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And it affects everyone else playing on top of that part. It's like this exponential kind of degradation of the production, right? Versus a U87 isn't going to sound great on everything, but experience from lots of engineers and, and our you know, using it ourselves shows that it works most of the time.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and that's, that's an interesting argument, uh, you know, for good gear for yeah. expensive gear is that, Hey, you don't want to, if you want to concentrate on the performance, get really great gear and you won't have to sweat it.
1: Right. So yeah.
0: See that as the other, the other Ver- the other side of that argument.
1: Yeah. And and then you know if it sounds like crap, then then you are the problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> or maybe the song sucks. Yeah, right. So <laughs> well, I think we're about out of time. Oh, and, yeah. and this has been really, really great, Bill. I, I'm glad we got to talk. And uh I really, really like what you're doing on your Facebook page there. And uh so if anybody is has not signed up to like it, go to Bill Simpkins, uh, look at Bill Simpkins uh, sorry, it's audio diary right now. yeah uh,
1: it's facebook.com/ae uh, Diaries. AE
0: Diaries there, yeah. there it is. OK. yeah. The audio engineering audio engineering Diaries, Bill Simpkins. yeah personal mm-hmm. blog. Yeah. So yeah, man, this has been great. Uh, well th- thank you very much, and I really appreci- appreciate what
1: you're doing. It's my favorite podcast to listen to. Oh, and thank you. follow the most useful and practical information. And uh, yeah, I really value it. All right, cool. man. Uh, All right. Take care. And you
0: thanks again. Talk to you later. Take care. All right, Bill Simpkins on the Working Class Audio podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. We course rambled on for a little bit longer but uh we have to cut things short and edit them down so you can uh, get it in a nice condensed format there so uh that's it we're out of time today just want to make sure that you know that this music right here that's cliff truesdell and uh the voiceover in the beginning that's chuck smith and of course cole williams helps out with some social media support and audio support and uh audio technica universal audio Gearsluts.com. they're a big help as well and i want to thank you for listening appreciate it take care